So by a quick show of hands, I'm curious how many people are um, already cleaned up from Christmas. So raise your hand if you've already taken down your Christmas tree. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm a minority here. Um, raise your hand if you are putting off taking down your Christmas stuff as long as possible. Okay. All right. And then raise your hand if you haven't noticed whether there's Christmas stuff in your house or not. No, don't raise your hand. Okay. That's fine. Uh, uh, this is always a weird point in the Christmas season, right? Because we know Christmas isn't a day. We, we celebrate Christmas for 12 days uh, from Christmas to Epiphany. Epiphany is the date where we celebrate the arrival of the Magi. Uh, and, and yet it, it feels like Christmas is kind of over and we have to move on. And this is always kind of challenging. To, to moving on from Christmas is not anyone's favorite part of the, uh, of the season. So every, or not every year, but many years, I have the privilege of, of rereading or rewatching. Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Uh, this year we went to see a, a production of that in Minneapolis with my wife's family. And I, I, even though it's not a particularly Christian story, I really love the story of A Christmas Carol. And there's a, a bit at the end of it, after all three spirits have come and gone, where Ebenezer Scrooge is in his bed, and he says what amounts to a prayer. And he says, um, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. And I love this moment. I love this idea that he's going to strive to keep Christmas all the year. Because I think perhaps we are better off if we understand Christmas not as a holiday that comes and goes, but as a moment that brings some lasting change. Um, that continues throughout the year. Uh, it is, uh, using a, a four-letter word, it is a process, right? It is, it is this process we go through of, of becoming more like Jesus. And so, um, the, the process of Christmas begins in Bethlehem, and it leads us all the way through Calvary, and it ends in an empty tomb. And part of our job in this season is to figure out um, how we continue to stay in this process. It's not an immediate solution. Boy, uh, it would be great, right, if Christmas came and then on the next day we were all dramatically different. Like Ebenezer Scrooge, we woke up and we were suddenly kind and gracious and warm and understanding. That's not how it works, right? So we, we have a process of becoming Christ-like. Um, there's, no, there's no fast food Christian service um, but, but in that process, um, God works again and again and again, and the story of Christmas continues and grows and changes. So I want to think a little bit about um, our faith as a process this morning and Christmas as a process. And, and it makes me wonder if that's perhaps a little bit of what's going on in the background of this really, really strange story we get in the Gospel of Luke. So for a moment... I want you to put yourself uh, in the shoes of Luke the evangelist, the, the guy who wrote the gospel. You have a ton of stories that you could tell about Jesus, right? I mean, he, he worked for three years as a roving preacher and teacher and miracle worker, and you're only going to put together this little short book about him. Why do you pick this story? This is a weird story, right? I mean, this is a story where John the Baptist who is the forerunner of Jesus, the Elijah to the Messiah, John the Baptist comes and says, I'm not really sure about you, Jesus. Are you really the one we're waiting for, or are we waiting for somebody else? 
If I'm Luke, I might leave this one out, right? I might include another one of those um, healing of the blind people. I really like those stories. But for some reason, Luke and the Holy Spirit within him thought that there was something about this weird story of John not trusting Jesus that we needed to hear. And I think it comes back to this idea of faith and Christmas as a process. So you remember how John first meets Jesus? John first meets Jesus in the womb. Remember this? Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes to meet with her cousin Elizabeth, who was really old, and Mary's really young, and they're both pregnant. And there's like a look who's talking moment where the babies recognize each other in womb, and John, in the womb of his mother, leaps for joy because the Messiah is there. It's this really cool moment. Uh, And then John meets Jesus, at least in the Gospels, again uh, at the river when he comes to be baptized. Jesus comes to be baptized. Remember, and John says, whoa, 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 I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to be baptized by me? And then John says, hey, behold, the Lamb, the Son of God. And, and his disciples want to follow him. And he says, that's great. You should follow Jesus because I need to decrease and he needs to increase. I mean, John is all in on Jesus. And then um, we get to this weird moment. Things have changed for John. He's been arrested. He's been imprisoned. He knows that those who have arrested him um, really don't like him. And whether he knows it or not, we know that he's going to die in prison. He'll be executed uh, basically as a party trick for the pleasure of his enemies. And in this season, I, I just have to imagine that John is at one of the lowest points of his life. Uh, and he hears about Jesus doing all these amazing things, but they're not quite the things he thought the Messiah was going to do. And so John sends a couple of disciples to go and say, hey, are you the one we're expecting, or is there another one who is to come? See, John is still in the process of faith. We, we like stories um, about people's lives that are the winning stories, right? We all like the story, boy, if you have a testimony that um, you and your wife had a huge fight and then you reconciled through the power of God, that is a great story. We love to hear it. If you have a story about, um, boy, I was an addict and I got clean uh, through the power of God, we, we will put you on the stage and have you tell that story all day long. Uh, If you went through the long, dark night of the soul of doubting even in God's presence in your life and then came to trust and believe Him in again, we we love telling those tales. If you lost your job and then God led you to another job that was better in some way, boy, those are are great, great tales to tell. But, But it occurs to me that in every one of those stories, there's some process. And there's a point um, where you and your wife were not yet reconciled where you were not yet recovered from your addiction, where you had not yet overcome the doubts that were so overwhelming and crushing, where you had not yet found the new job that gave you some purpose and hope. And in those moments, there's some value in knowing uh, that Christmas isn't a one-and-done sort of thing. The Christian life is about this process of going through with God, and that even heroes like John Um, go through the process. 
and have seasons of doubt and uncertainty and fear and loss. And in the midst of those seasons, I think John and others become an example for us of of what to do when we feel very much in the process. John does a few things really, really well. Here's the first thing John does. Um, When he is um, doubting and uncertain and afraid and literally uh, at the end of his life, he goes to Jesus. He can't literally go to Jesus because he's in prison, but he sends people to Jesus. And I think this is so important for us because it's easy for us to say, boy, as I look at all the suffering in my life, um, as I look at the suffering in the world, as I think about people who were born never hearing the gospel, as I think about a particular tragedy in the world, as as I think about the particular doubts that I'm having, it's easy for me to say, boy, I need a solution to this thing. And I need a solution to this illness or this fear or this loss or this doubt. But that's not always the way the process works. And perhaps the solution may not come in an answer to the question you're having, but just in a willingness to keep going back to Jesus. The story of Job is one of those stories that um, I think has incredible value for us, but we we sort of have lost the meaning of, of the book. Job starts out as this incredible man of faith and then loses everything. It is unbelievably tragic what happens to him. And then for like 36 chapters of a 40-plus chapter book, Job just complains to God. And he, he comes back to God again and again, and he asks question after question, and he says, hey, when are you going to make this better? When are you going to make this right? Why is this happening? All reasonable good questions. But what Job does that's so impressive is he, he keeps coming back to God. Finally, at the end of the book, God shows up to Job. You guys remember this moment? And, and God doesn't answer a single one of Job's questions. He's got like 36 chapters of questions. God answers zero of them. He just shows up and talks to Job out of the whirlwind of power and glory and grace. And and there's something about that moment of encountering God in that profound way that makes all the questions a little bit less urgent, that makes all the loss a little bit less sharp, that makes all the confusion, a little less overwhelming. He doesn't get answers to any of his questions, but when God shows up, he doesn't need the answers anymore. He just needs God. And this is what John does so well. John just comes to Jesus and says, boy, I need something that only you can give Um, because my life isn't making sense right now. Even my faith isn't making sense. So John goes to Jesus. Uh, And then something really interesting happens. The disciples of John come to Jesus and they say, hey, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? But by the way, John is not doubting whether Jesus can do miracles. He's not doubting whether Jesus is a holy man. He's just questioning whether Jesus is the Messiah, right? Are you the one we expected or are we expecting someone else? And Jesus doesn't say no, because that would be a lie. He is the one they've been expecting, but he doesn't say yes either, Because John has an idea of what it means to be Messiah that Jesus is trying to challenge. So what does Jesus say? He says, go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. Go back and just tell John what you've seen and heard. 
Somewhere, I don't know when it happened, but somewhere in our modern world, we got this idea that, that faith and reason needed to be competing concepts. That's not how Jesus thinks about them, right? Jesus says, use your brain, use your eyes, use your ears, look at what's happening around you, see what I'm doing. See that the dead are raised and the poor have good news proclaimed to them, that the blind and the ears of the deaf are unstopped, and the lame are leaping like joy, like, the, like a deer for joy. Just look and see and hear and observe what God's doing. And, and I think this is part of um, what we're called to do when we're in the midst of the process, right? Is to say, all right, yeah, I'm going to go to Jesus, and then I'm just going to watch, and I'm going to listen. I, I want to see who this Jesus is. I'm going to see that through the pages of Scripture, through reading the stories of Christ, uh, the stories of Christ in the New Testament, and since the whole Bible is about Jesus, the stories of Christ in the Old Testament too. Uh, I'm going to read and discover what this man was like. And then um, I want to see where God's at work in my life today. Uh, I want to trust and believe that if He's really Emmanuel, if He's really God with us, um, I'm going to see some some moments where He shows up. It may not be where I want Him to be or what I want Him to do. It might be the whirlwind rather than the answers that I want, but I'm going to trust that God's going to show up. And there's something about Jesus um, that is just so compelling. I think even for the non-believing world, we, we can't get past Him, right? Uh, even beyond the story of Scripture, the impact of Jesus in our world is, is phenomenal. John Ortberg writes about this in a wonderful book called Who Is This Man? And he explains um, that the impact of Jesus seems to just keep multiplying over time, that not only did Jesus do all these amazing things in His life, but um, today um, He's changed how we think about children we think of the humanity of children now because of Jesus and His followers believing that children were fully human. That wasn't a belief in the ancient world. Um, we have hospitals now because of Jesus and His followers. We have universities now because of Jesus and His followers. We have science now because of Jesus and His followers. A mandatory public education comes about because of Jesus and His followers. I apologize, by the way, for all of you who have to go to school tomorrow, but apparently Jesus wants you to go. Um, all of these amazing things in our world have been transformed by the ongoing impact of this man who is so compelling that we can't seem to stop talking about him, that literally history itself is shaped around him, right? We don't no longer measure our lives based on who's president or who's king. This is a new year for us. It's 2022. That means 2022 years of A.D., right? A.D., Anno Domini, and the year of our Lord, 2,022 years lived with Jesus. That's how we measure time now. Uh, and, and the unbelievable impact of Jesus shows up in these, in these huge and in these small ways if we will simply hear and see what God has to do. So John does this well. John goes to Jesus, and then uh, Jesus encourages him to open his eyes to hear and to see what God has to do. Uh, but then there's one other thing I think that Jesus is trying to help John to recognize, and that is uh, that his expectations, that his dreams for who the Messiah is supposed to be, they're out of whack. Right? They're, they're too small. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. was a doctor in the 17 and uh, 1800s in the United States. And um, in that time, ether was a medication that was often used uh, 
so he wanted to understand what that was like. So he administered ether to himself. Uh, and he had this incredible experience. And as he um, was under the influence of the medication before he completely passed out, he said um, that uh, a profound thought came to him. He believed he had suddenly grasped the key to all the mysteries of the universe. But when he woke up, he couldn't remember what that insight was. You can imagine how frustrating that would have to be. And so, because he was sure that this was key to the future of all humankind, he arranged to go under uh, the influence of ether again. But the second time, he got a, a, a professional stenographer to come and to record whatever he said right as he passed out. Uh, and so, again, he took the medication. Again, this feeling of euphoria came over him and this um, sense of this brilliant insight and greatness. And so, just before he passed out, he mumbled some words. The stenographer took them down, and he went to sleep. Uh, and then, upon awakening, he turned eagerly to the stenographer, and he said, um, tell me, tell me the great thought that I can't seem to remember. And this is what she read. The entire universe is permeated with a strong odor of turpentine. It's a bummer, right? That's a bummer. Um, Sometimes our dreams are too small, our expectations are too small, our hopes, are, our insights just too small. And this is, I think, what Jesus is trying to communicate to John. John says, Jesus, I, I know you're doing all these things, but, but here's what I'm not sure of. You seem more like Elijah than like David. And I know Messiah is going to be like David, and so um, when are you going to act like in the model of David instead of the model of Elijah? And Jesus says, no, John, you don't understand. Elijah and David were just models of me. Before Abraham was, I am. All the great heroes of Scripture were just small reflections to get you ready for me. You think I'm going to come and create a nation of 10,000 or 100,000 Jewish people. No, my dream is billions of Christians and every nation on earth. John, your dreams are just a little too small. And I think this is one of our challenges sometimes in the midst of, of the process of faith is that um, our dreams are a little too small. Uh, and so part of our work is to read the stories in Scripture and observe the work of the Holy Spirit and ask, hey, are my dreams too little in this moment? And, and I want to challenge you that sometimes uh, our small expectations come in really strange ways. A number of years ago, I had a friend who was a pastor who went to visit a, a congregation member of hers. And, and this particular member was very faithful, loved the Lord, um, had very serious cancer, and um, was at what appeared to be the end of their life. And um, they had been meeting and praying for a long time. The whole family was gathering in the hospital. And when my friend came to visit, um, the family said, um, hey, we are, we are praying for a miracle. And my friend said, that's great. I believe in miracles. I believe God does miracles. Let's, let's do that. But can we also talk about, you know, the possibility that this could be the end? And let's, let's be ready for that too, and let's think and pray through it. Um, and the family was really upset with her. Uh, they were really upset with her because they said, no, we're not going to even consider that possibility. We believe that God's going to do a miracle. We believe God's going to do great things, and that's it. And they actually asked her to not come back. And they said, we'd rather you just not come back um, while mom's in the hospital. A few weeks later, um, unfortunately, this very faithful woman passed away. 
Uh, and when she did, the family came back to my friend, the pastor, and they said, you know what? I don't think we understood. I don't think we understood how small our dreams were. Because, yeah, we were hoping that mom would be here for another 10 years or 20 years, um, but mom believed in a God who gave us eternal life uh, and a God who raises the dead and a God who defeats the powers of sin and evil. And so, um, for mom, is the great victory that she gets another five years on earth or uh, that she gets to live forever with her Savior? And they said, you know, maybe, maybe our vision was just a little too small. So I think part of the challenge for us as, as followers of Jesus, not unlike John, is that in the midst of the process, sometimes um, we start dreaming a little too, too small. T.E. Lawrence once said, all men dream but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds awake to the day to find it was all vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men. For the many act out their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. Jesus says, There is no person born of a woman greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The least of those who is born again, born from above, born from water and the Spirit, is greater even than he. Because the dreams of the kingdom of God exceed the wildest imagination of our flesh. I think the process of faith isn't easy with Jesus, but it is the awake dreaming of a people who have seen their dreams become flesh and then exceed their wildest imaginations, who have therefore become dangerous to the world because they are no longer confined or constrained by it. The day of Christmas has come and gone, but the process of Christmas the process of faith isn't over. It's barely begun. Thanks be to God. Amen.